0: Okay. So when we last left on Friday, we were talking about lymphocytes themselves. We talked about B lymphocytes. We talked about, right, B lymphocytes or B cells. That B cells are the cells that manufacture and secrete immunoglobulin molecules. They secrete the antibody molecules. We had a bunch of ways we could subdivide B cells. We talked about T cells. T cells mature in the thymus. That's why they're T cells. We'll talk about thymus in a minute. They can be subdivided right into functionally distinct subgroups helper T cells cytotoxic T cells talked a little bit about null cells null cells being things that look like lymphocytes when you look at them histologically except they're a little bit bigger they have some cytoplasm inside the granules right they're important for virus killing and killing of tumor cells so this is where we should have kept going with when it comes to the the circulatory system, there's also another way in which cells are going to be transported. Right? And this is called the lymphoid system or lymphoid tissue. So when you're talking about lymphoid tissue, right? the lymphatic system or the lymphoid system or the lymphatic system is basically another hidden circulatory system. Right? So when early anatomists, started dissecting people to try to figure out how things worked. It was sort of easy, right, to pull out the heart, you know, that the heart is involved with pumping blood. And it was easy to pull out bones and it was easy to pull out the appendix. You know, but if you still wanted to be an anatomist and let's say it was a hundred years later, there wasn't a lot of stuff left. Right, all right, so I can cut somebody open. I can pull out their heart. Okay, I can cut some somebody open. I can pull out their spleen. Yeah, people have already pulled out the appendix. So those anatomists who were like second generation or third generation anatomists, they had to go back and basically just look through all the piles of stuff that other people have thrown away. So when people started looking more closely to the circulatory system, what they found was this other sort of system that's made up of capillaries and a whole bunch of veins and venules and it follows the circulatory system almost every place inside the body. So the lymphatic system doesn't have, there's no sort of heart or anything like that. Every time the heart beats and and a pulse of energy goes through the circulatory system, that sort of energy is carried through the lymphatic system because the lymphatic system basically sits right on top of the circulatory system. So it sort of pushes everything through as it's going to be able to move right along. So when you look at the lymphatic system, it parallels the circulatory system. So what is that liquid that we're talking about? Well, that liquid in in the lymphatic system, we've already talked a little bit about it. When we talked about increasing vascular permeability, right, we talked about this, that this was a normal sort of, and we said that, right, for every sort of microliter that goes out, a microliter is going to come back. Mm. That was a lie, right? So that, we don't get that one-to-one sort of circulation taking place. Now, I can't give you a number, Right? but if one microliter goes out, let's say 0.75 microliters comes back. Right, A certain amount stays out in the tissue. A certain amount is inside the tissue and it's washing over the tissue all the time. And this is the liquid that's going to get caught up inside the lymphatic system. Right. So all those sort of spillages that are going to take place, well not sort of spillages, right, but that that movement of the liquid portion of blood out into the tissue spaces, and as those tissue spaces are bathed, we're going to be able to use some of that liquid as a sentinel. So as all of this liquid is sort of moving through the tissue spaces, it's going to be round up and it's going to be collected in certain areas of the lymphatic system. Eventually, all that liquid is going to make its way back into the circulatory system, right, because it has to. For every microliter that goes out, eventually a microliter has to come back. If it didn't, we would have dry veins, we would have dry capillaries, and all of our liquid would be out in the tissue spaces. So eventually, right, when, when all of this lymphatic fluid or this lymph fluid or this lymph makes its way back, it's going to empty through the right uh, lymphatic duct back into the circulatory system, back into the heart, and then it's going to be turned back into blood again. We just need to be able to define what the liquid portion of blood that isn't in the circulatory system is, and we're going to call that lymph fluid based on lymphocytes and and the lymphatic system. So when we're looking here at the lymphatic system, we can see that there are certain organs of the lymphatic system. And when you look at the lymphatic system or you look at lymphoid tissue, we're going to be able to delineate it in two ways. We're going to have what's called primary lymphoid tissue. And the primary lymphoid tissue itself is where maturation and education of lymphocytes is going to take place. We've already talked about these places. We've talked about the bone marrow. Right? It's the birth of all lymphocytes and it's the differentiation of B-cells. As it turns out, it's the bone marrow is the birth of all right, the cells of the circulatory system and we'll talk about that when we talk about hematopoiesis in five minutes, right, today's lecture. So all the cells of the circulatory system, the red blood cells and the platelets, and all the cells of the immune system, all the white blood cells, are born in the bone marrow. Right? They're going to eventually uh, differentiate, and when they become mature, they're going to leave the bone marrow. So the bone marrow is one of the primary lymphoid tissues, right? because maturation and education, that's where the B cells are going are to mature and become educated. The T cells, on the other hand, are going to leave the bone marrow, not fully differentiated. They're going to make their way to the thymus, as they work through the thymus, that's when they're gonna become fully differentiated and they're gonna be able to leave the thymus. So bone marrow and thymus are primary lymphoid tissue and then everything else is secondary lymphoid tissue. Three other areas where antigen is gonna be able to interact with the lymphocytes. We've talked a little bit about things like Peyer's patches, but there are other things that we're familiar with, right? lymph nodes and the spleen. The spleen is a place where the circulatory system is screened for antigens and the lymph nodes uh, is the gathering place where lymph fluid is going to be screened for antigens. So everybody has a pretty good idea about lymph nodes, right? When you were a little kid, when you, when you finally figured out or you were told what a lymph node was. Right, that's the time you'd go to tell your mom, mom, I can't go to school, my lymph nodes, they're really swollen. Right? Your mother would come up and go, what oh, are you, crazy, they're not swollen, go to school. Right? So we know we got lymph nodes right right under here, you got lymph nodes under your armpit, you got lymph, lymph nodes in your groin. Right? These are just areas where that lymphatic system is starting to congregate. Right? In here, up and in here. Right. Under here, under your arm, in all different places you have these lymph nodes. And lymph nodes, you can think of lymph nodes and even the spleen itself, the lymph nodes and the spleen, they're sort of like a Mr. Coffee machine. So you have, right, when you wake up in the morning and you have your filter in here and you have all your coffee grinds in here, right, and you're going to have this to come out in the bottom and you're going to get your mug of coffee over here. Right, but water is going to enter, it's going to percolate through, right, interact with the coffee, with the ground up coffee, and it's going to come out as coffee on the other side. Same idea with the lymph node. So all that information that's out here, right? if it's pieces of a bacteria, if it's live bacteria, if it's cells that have gone, you know, some injury to a cell, something takes place. All of those proteins, all of that information is going to wash through the lymphatic system and it's going to percolate through the lymph nodes. And sitting in the lymph nodes are B cells, T cells, all sorts of cells of the immune system. So as this information makes its way through, right, it's going to come into contact with every single cell of the immune system. This could be the circulatory system, if that's the case, this is the spleen. If it's making its way through the lymphatic system, this is going to be a lymph node. So before, right, when I was talking about, you know, you have this B cell and it's sort of out here in circulation and it comes into contact with this bacteria, That's a lie, right? I'm sure it can happen, right, routinely if this B cell is sort of, or this other cell is sort of meandering through the tissue spaces here and it comes into contact with the bacteria. Absolutely, this is going to happen. But nature is not going to be that cavalier about it, right? Nature is not going to be, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, if that B-cell is out there and it comes into contact with a pathogen, yeah, if that macrophage is out there and it comes into contact with a pathogen, yeah, then we'll start the battle. Uh, if it doesn't come in, well, we'll meet, you know, we'll meet that pathogen sometime, somewhere, and then we'll start the battle. Right? But that is not what this is all about. Right? Nature isn't that sort of sloppy about it. So what's going to happen here is, Right? We're going to channel all this information from the tissue spaces, right? All of this flow of lymph fluid that's going to make its way through the lymphatic system. Right? All right? remember, we're washing through every tissue, every, every place in the body, and we're going to bring this stuff through our Mr. Coffee here. So when this stuff goes through, and now we have, you know, we have millions and millions and billions of, of T cells and B cells in here, that's when this real sort of interaction is going to be able to take place, right? It's much more efficient to do it this way, okay? So that's basically what the lymphoid system is. It's the, it's the, the highway of the immune system. So lymph nodes and spleen. And we also have what are called mucosa-associated lymphoid tissues. Things like the Peyer's patches, right? your tonsils, right? the appendix. Right? Your tonsils are lymphoid organs. Your appendix are lymphoid organs. Right? As it turns out, tonsils and appendix are vestigial organs. Right? They, don't, not, they don't perform the same sort of activity that they were originally proposed for. Everybody knows about tonsils, right? You can have your tonsils taken out, it's no big deal. If you're having some sort of surgery in your your lower area, right, for some other sort of problem, they'll probably just pop your appendix out while they're down there, right? Just in case it bursts or something is going to be able to take place. So you can live just fine without your tonsils and without your appendix. But other things, like those pyres patches, or the lining of your entire of your entire gastrointestinal tract. Right? That's where we're going to have all of these lymphocytes stationed strategically so that they'll be able to respond to pathogens as they're making their way through right, our digestive system. It's all very orchestrated, and it's all very, you know sort of directed towards, Having immune cells stationed at certain places throughout the body so that they're going to be able to come into contact with antigen, right? All these different places. If you look at, right, sort of a lymph node here, here's a pretty good picture of a a cartoon of a lymph node. So you have all this tissue space out here, you have all this lymph fluid coming through these capillaries, right? It's going to come, here are some valves to be able to take all this stuff and just sort of filter it right through. So all this lymph fluid is going to wash through this lymph node, where we have all sorts of B cells and T cells, and then it's going to wash through on the other side, and eventually we'll be able to get rid of all those things. Same thing for the spleen, right? The architecture of the spleen, the architecture of a lymph node are sort of similar, only now we're going to have blood come through here, and that blood is going to be forced in and be able to meander through and percolate through all sorts of B cells and T cells inside the spleen, right? People have their spleen removed, they're still okay, right? So, you know, even the spleen isn't, well, I don't want to say it's not important. I mean, it is very important, but people can live without their spleen and have you know healthy lives without a spleen because everything else can make up for what's going on there. But you can sort of see, right? So here we're having all the blood get forced through here and go into this sponge, go into these coffee grinds, and then make their way back out. So if there are cells in here that are going to be able to recognize any sort of non-self uh, sort of particles inside the blood or inside the lymph inside the tissue spaces, it's going to make its way through the spleen and make its way through the lymph nodes themselves. So things like your tonsils, right, you have all this place where you can have these immune cells taking place, right, so that's where uh, the first sort of hit to be able to detect any sort of pathogen is taking place, and all along, right, here's a, sort of a blow up of your small intestine, so as food sort of uh, exchange is taking place and digestion is taking place in here as well, you have all these different places, right, along the lining, right, this epithelial cell lining, here's where we're going to have blood vessels come up for food intake. But in other areas, there are specific areas in the lining of the intestine where the immune cells are going to be. And here in this picture, they're secreting a lot of secretory IgA, right? And the interaction between any sort of microbes, any sort of pathogens in the intestine can take place as well. So before, I just sort of talk willy-nilly, right? About, yeah, well, if this B cell interacts with this, with this. pathogen that can take place. But most of the time, for, for the vast majority of the time, 99.9% of the time, it's going to happen in here in the lymph nodes. Right? If right, the facts be told, if this B cell is in your circulatory system and it's able to recognize a bacteria in your circulatory system, you are in deep trouble. right? Because if bacteria ever get into your circulatory system, that's when you can get a septic sort of episode. right? It's not good if bacteria are in the circulatory system. So they're going to be swept up in the lymph fluid and brought through all those different areas of the lymphatic system and brought into the area. So this lymphoid tissue basically is going to be made up of recirculating lymphocytes. Right? So lymphocytes are going to be on this sort of roller coaster through the entire body For their entire lives. And lymphocytes can live for years. In fact, there are some lymphocytes that are gonna live forever inside your body. Right? They're gonna be memory lymphocytes. And we'll talk about memory lymphocytes when we go into more detail about B cells. But when you were vaccinated, even when you were, you know, a toddler. Right? You, have, you still have that information inside your body someplace, right? Because you have these very long-lived lymphocytes that are, that are inside your body, and we'll talk about that at great length. So most of these recirculating lymphocytes, you know, you know about 90% of them are basically T cells. So the T cells move all over the place. So you can get large pools of T cells or lymphocytes themselves, and all sorts of other white blood cells. But if we're looking at t cells themselves right so lymphocytes are going to stay in the blood for a while eh, then they'll meander they'll be out in the spleen for a little while then they'll come back into the blood maybe they'll be out in the in the lymph fluid then they'll sit in lymph nodes for a while right and they'll be all over the place because we are not going to set up right like this lymphocyte right here if that lymphocyte took up residency in this lymph node, and that's the only place it was, what good would it do us? If this is if we're sit- if this is some sort of lymph node, you know, and it's and it's down behind our knee, but you know we get some sort of attack, and this lymph fluid is going to be draining through a lymph node, maybe you know in your in your uh, in your jaw or under your armpit, and that antigen that could be recognized by this lymphocyte is sitting way down in your, you know, behind your knee. What good does it do us? So these cells are constantly in motion. They're constantly going to different places, right? We're not going to allow the enemy, because over the course of evolutionary time, a bacteria might figure that out. Oh, that particular lymphocyte that's gunning for me, right, only stays in the lymph node behind the knee. So I'm just not going to go there. right? over evolutionary time, those sort, that sort of information is going to matter. So they're constantly in motion. They're going to become activated, they can go to certain places, they'll go back maybe to the bone marrow. They're never going to be in one place long enough so that they're not going to be in every place where a potential pathogen could be. Okay. We're not going to take all of our tanks and store them in this base, and we're not going to take all of our nuclear weapons and store them over here, and we're not going to take all of our ray guns, right, we're still in the future, right, we're not going to put all of our ray guns over here, and we're not going to put all of our foot soldiers over here and our archers, if we go back in time, we're not going to put our archers over here, right? Everybody's moving all over the place so that at one particular point in time, any pathogen can be recognized. And that's what's going on in the lymphoid system. And it's all basically driven by lymphocytes, although other cells are going to be able to move around too. So lymphocyte recirculation is going to allow that maximum number of antigenically committed lymphocytes to encounter antigen. So all those B cells that have all these unique antigen receptors on their cell surface, they can be everywhere at the same time so that if an invader is someplace in the body there should be within a certain amount of time able to be recognized by a particular cell of the immune system okay, so it's not so you know unorchestrated as i might make it appear and a lot of information is being put into mucosal immunology right now right that's sort of the biggest sort of area of research right now because here inside the intestine, it appears that certain bacteria are given a free pass. We have certain bacteria, right, that colonize our intestines. And I don't read my yogurt containers very much, but I'm sure if you read your yogurt container, that's one of the ones, right, that is in our intestine a lot, right, for whatever the reason. It makes good yogurt and we have it inside of our intestine. But then there are other bacteria that the immune system is going to recognize and get rid of. So this is the biggest puzzle of immunology probably right now. Why is this bacteria almost cultured inside of our intestines? And why are these bacteria destroyed inside of our intestine? And how is it that we're not destroying this bacteria? What signal is it? that is telling the immune system that uh, he's a good guy. Even though he looks like a bacteria, right, if it looks like a duck and if it walks like a duck, it's a duck. So even though, right, this looks like a bacteria, it acts like a bacteria, it's a friendly bacteria, right? So, no problem, right? So, this one can, this species can live, this species can live, this species can live, this species dead, this species dead, this species dead, right? This is probably the major thrust right now. Absolutely, yeah, sure. I mean, that's an okay hypothesis. I don't think we know enough yet about why, right, about why, you know, why are these lymphocytes that are living here allowing that bacteria to live? Or is that bacteria secreting something? Clearly, right, it's, it, it doesn't appear to be harming us, right? I mean, I think I'm a healthy, happy, sort of immune system right now, and I probably have all sorts of that bacteria growing in me. And I'm sure my immune system is fighting that ba- those species of bacteria. You know, that battle is going on in my intestine right and, and all of your intestines right now, too. But how and why? I don't think anybody has a clue yet. Right? But this is, the, this is sort of the biggest part about the immune system right now. And it, and it is the biggest part about the immune system right now Because it appears that things like inflammatory bowel disease and other sort of pathologies of the intestine are linked to the certain whatever sort of bacteria are growing in there. So people are thinking about different therapeutic moieties. Well, you know, if you have inflammatory bowel disease, you know, you definitely have to get rid of that bacteria. And if you can colonize your intestine with that bacteria, you'll be cured. Or right it appears that people who are obese you know are are somehow allowing this bacteria to live and this bacteria is being killed so if we can somehow go in there and destroy, you know and allow this bacteria to live and destroy that bacteria maybe that will have something to do right with changing right sort of the layout of the entire body so this is sort of the front lines of the immune system right now in the literature right in in scientific research all right, so that's where we should have been, and this is where we are. So before we go on any further talking about cells, and you can see the next cell we want to talk about are the macrophages, but trust me, we're not going to be talking about macrophages today. We'll, we'll finish macrophages on Wednesday. The other part about, right, looking at the cells themselves is where the cells come from. How is it that we have all those cells in our body at any one point in time? And the study of the generation of all the blood cells is the science of hematopoiesis. The generation of all the blood cells. So as we're looking at all the blood cells, at one point in time, right, so here are the the T-cells we've been talking about, here are the B-cells, right? So these are mature B-cells over here, mature T-cells. And we've talked a little bit about macrophages, a little bit about platelets and red blood cells, right? But all these cells that are gonna be inside the bone marrow are gonna come from a single cell. The generation of all cells of the circulatory system. So if you look at hematopoiesis itself, Right? It's going to start in utero as we start to develop, as things start to develop, Right, because we've got to get all those cells out there. So at any one point in time, right, like today, right, you're going to be very busy today because you, and I mean you, I mean me, I mean all of us, we're making about 200 billion red blood cells today. Can you hear it happening in there? Right? Your, your, your hematopoietic tissue is working very hard today. About 200 billion red blood cells are streaming, or will be streaming out of your bone marrow today. And anywhere from, you know, 100 to 120 billion white blood cells are going to be pouring out of your bone marrow today. What that means is, right, on the other side to that coin, is that today, sad to say, you're going to lose about 200 billion red blood cells. Because if you didn't, eventually we'd just be a pile of red blood cells, right? if we didn't get rid of them. So for every sort of cell that's going to be born, right, just like in life, there's going to be a cell that's going to die. So 200 billion are flowing from the bone marrow, 200 billion are making their way back to the liver and being recycled. Right? But that sort of system is going to start happening inside the fetus, so very early on during, gest- during gestation, right? And we know this from studying uh, mice. Right? So, mice gestation is about 21 days. So, the first trimester for a mouse is about seven days or so. So, in the first sort of seven days, that's when the circulatory system comes online, right? And right now, we're talking about the circulatory system, right? And the circulatory system comes online because we need to start breathing, basically, right? We need to have those red blood cells circulating through. So the circulatory system is formed, right, about during the first trimester, and that's about the same in a human as well. So the circulatory system is out there, but what hasn't formed yet are the bones. So the skeletal system hasn't formed yet. I mean, it's sort of on the way, right, but it's really not there yet. Probably the precursors of the skeletal system are there, right? We talked about cells being born in the bone marrow, right? So we need we need to have a bone to have any sort of bone marrow. So as the skeletal system is developing, there are other areas where hematopoiesis is going to take place. So in the fetus, right, we get what are called blood islands. And blood islands are basically just cells that are dividing and dividing, and they're sort of staying together in this sort of clump of cells. And then when those blood islands, right, are going to be making their way and they're gonna get stuck in the liver, right? As they get bigger and they can't filter through the liver and they can't filter through the spleen, they're gonna get stuck in the liver and the spleen. And eventually, once the bone marrow is formed, once the skeletal system is formed, that's when hematopoiesis is gonna make its way into the bone marrow. So like I said, in the mouse, Right, by seven days inside the yolk sac or so. Right? So if we sort of look at a developing mouse, right? So here is day about day seven. So we can see the yolk sac with blood islands. And by day ten or so, right, the fetal liver, that's where all the hematopoiesis is taking place. And then in the fetal liver itself. So we're going to go from the yolk sac, right, to the fetal liver, down into the bone marrow. So you can sort of see this development of the hematopoietic system, which is basically the development, right, you could, if you track and if we were looking at the the generation of the circulatory system and then the generation of the skeletal system, they would sort of go hand in hand with with the differentiation from, right, yolk sac to blood islands to fetal liver to eventually in the adult or the developing into a mature fetus inside the bone marrow. So that's what we're looking at there. The other thing about hematopoiesis is that it's really hard to be able to tell the difference between all the cells inside the bone marrow. They all look the same. Histologically, they all look the same. Right? When we had that slide before, and we were able to see the difference between the macrophage and the eosinophil and the basophil, right, we absolutely could see the difference there. Because right? the mature forms right, are very distinctive. Right? And the immature forms, they look all the same. So the young cells, those immature cells, they're big, right, so all the cells in the bone marrow are basically big, right. They have a, a small nucleus. They have a lot of cytoplasm. So when you take a, a, a blood stain of the bone marrow cells and look at them under the microscope, it's hard to tell the difference. It's really the immature cells are hard to distinguish. Once you get those cells leaving the bone marrow as they're maturing, then you can start to see them rather easily. So when the skeletal system takes place and it develops eventually and today, I can say all of us because we're all at that point where we have a skeletal system, we're basically looking at things like the long bones in your body. So you get a lot of hematopoiesis in the long bones of your leg, but most of the hematopoiesis in an adult body is going to come from sort of the ribs and the sternum, but most of it's going to be right here in the iliac crest. Right? So in your hips, most of your, blo- well, most of your bone marrow production is coming in your iliac crest right now. If anybody's ever had to have bone marrow removed, Right, that's where they go in to sort of take a sample. Right, You can sort of feel that iliac crest right there. So it's pretty close Just sort of shove a needle through, break through the bone, suck it out. It doesn't hurt so much, but that's most of the place where your, where your hematopoietic cells are developing at any one point in time. Right? So if we go along and we start looking at hematopoiesis itself, what we can find out is that every cell of the circulatory system, so every cell of the immune system, every cell of the circulatory system, is going to be derived from a common stem cell, all right? So let's just sort of jump, Right, right, we've got to take a big jump here, right? We've got to talk about stem cells. Stem cells are always in the news. Because right? we have a whole bunch of different types of stem cells. Right? There are three major types of stem cells, and they are called either totipotent, pluripotent, or multipotent. Right? And the hematopoietic cells are said to be multipotent, right? They give rise to a multiple but limited number of lineages. So, those stem cells, those common stem cells, are going to eventually be red blood cells, white blood cells, right? All those different white blood cells. B cells, T cells, right, uh, uh, platelets, but right, we also have pluripotent and totipotent. So totipotent are produces all the differentiated cells in an organism. Right. So if we could figure out how to deal, how to get those stem cells, right, then we could we could basically repopulate any cell inside the organism. Are going to be able for germ cells to differentiate, so we can get different cells from the endoderm, from the mesoderm, from the ectoderm. So these type of stem cells are basically found from embryonic cells. Embryonic stem cells. Those are the ones that are in the news all the time. Certain people say, you know what? If we could figure out how to get these cells right here, We'd be able to make people new livers. We'd be able to make people, you know, new hearts, new heart tissue. We could cure Parkinson's disease because if we got some of those early brain cells, we could somehow destroy the, the cells that are being infected by Parkinson's and we could put in new sort of cells. Right? These are the controversial cousins of the cells we're going to talk about. People are right now, right? They, they say that, you know, they have ways to try to turn our cells, our normal mature cells, into, right? Le- lesser differentiated stem cells, right? There's a whole bunch of different things you can do to turn your mature cells back into cells that have it that your body hasn't seen, right? For some of you in 20 years or so, right? Those original stem cells were, well, were you, let's say, right? Because that sperm was, you know, that was from somebody else, and that egg was from somebody else. But when that sperm and egg came together, and you started to be, right, one of these stem cells, because clearly, right, that original you, that one cell you, turned into trillion cell you, Some of your cells are sitting in your brain right now, and some of those cells are sitting in your nose right now, and some of those cells are sitting in your heart right now. But you were one cell at one point in time. So there was some sort of developmental pathway that turned you, one cellular you, into multicellular you right now. And that's the aim. That's the aim. of. These embryonic stem cells, right, is to be able to go back and repopulate certain portions of you. All your mature cells in your body still have that memory. They're just turned off right now, right, by some sort of genetic mechanism. Right? Maybe all those genes are methylated now, so they're not going to be turned on, right? so we're going to try to demethylate them and turn them back on so we can make new hearts and we can make new livers and right, we can do all those different things. Right now, the easiest way to do that, the easiest way, is to use aborted tissue or embryos that people don't want anymore. This is not a philosophy course, right? We're not going to say who's right or who's wrong, right? Should those embryos that parents don't need anymore and they just want to get rid of them, eh, should they get rid of them, you know, are those embryos a lot, we don't care about that, right? At any one point in time, this is what those embryos are. And if we could tease out the cells that have switched from that one cell U to that circulatory cell U, to that, ner- the, that nervous cell U, to that digestive cell U, then we could populate any organ. So those are the stem cells that are controversial. The hematopoietic stem cells are very nice, because right? if we went up into my laboratory right now and we took blood from anybody in this room, we could have stem cells in five minutes. Well, we couldn't. <laughs> we, we would have blood cells in five minutes and inside those blood cells, in your circulatory system right now, are some hematopoietic stem cells. So hematopoietic stem cells, these adult stem cells, they are very non-controversial. Right? You might get mad because, oh, you know, somebody stuck you in the arm with a needle the wrong way, oh, it hurt, but you're going to be able to leave and go eat your lunch. Right, so, zero controversy. So, these stem cells, right? if we take bone marrow, I can go in and take cells from your bone marrow, from your blood, right? things like cord blood from the placenta, from amniotic fluid. Right. There are commercials on television nowadays that say, hey parents, as you are you know, happily delivering this new infant of yours, save some cord blood. Save some part of the placenta, save save some of the amniotic fluid. Because these areas, these places, like cord blood and the placenta and amniotic fluid, are very enriched in hematopoietic stem cells. And you're going to take those hematopoietic stem cells or those or those those blood cells from cord blood and we're going to freeze them for you. Right? Yeah. We're going to charge you, right? we'll charge you rent inside of our freezer. right? That's their business model. Right? So you take some of those cells, you throw them into liquid nitrogen, and they should be, re- well, they, they should be retrievable for decades. Because, God forbid, you get some sort of cancer when you're 30, when you're 25. you, if your mom and dad did that, you would have cells that could repopulate your bone marrow, your body, that aren't cancerous at any one point in time. So you go back to the store where you're storing them and you say, hi, you know, you have some of my cells, they've been here for 35 years, I need them now, please, right? Deliver them to my doctor, and boom, you're going to be able to have, right, non tumor contaminated circulatory system. So now, right, if you're going to go for chemotherapy, you can get a maximum dose of chemotherapy. You can basically wipe out your entire immune system and then they're just going to inject you with some of this cord blood and you're going to rebuild your circulatory system. So that's, that's the beauty of hematopoietic stem cells. We don't have any of the drama, we don't have any of the, of the problems with, right, getting those stem cells, they are easily arrived at. Right. So, back to right back to hematopoietic stem cells. So each one of these hematopoietic stem cells is said to be pluripotent. Right? It's able to differentiate along a number of different pathways and cells are going to differentiate down two pathways the lymphoid stem cell pathway and that's going to give rise to b cells and t cells and then the myeloid stem cell pathway and that's going to give birth to every other cell in every other cell in the circulatory system all the red blood cells all the white blood cells and all the platelets okay when you look at the bone marrow itself and you have to be able to figure out, well, how does this one individual cell decide to be a red blood cell? Well, we got a, we got an okay handle on that. We don't have a terrific handle on it. Right? We know that all of these sort of decisions that are taking place might be under control of growth factors, right? certain proteins that cells inside the bone marrow are secreting. Because there are resident cells inside the bone marrow. They're called stromal cells. Right? And the stromal cells are things like the fat cells and the fibroblasts that make up the bone marrow. Right? They're not part of the hematopoietic system. So they are residents in there. So they could be releasing some sort of growth factor that is sort of uh, uh, pushing differentiation down one of these sort of pathways. or. Maybe we need some sort of (laughs) cell-cell contact to be able to take place. So we're not sure if it's what the stromal cells are secreting, or if it's from the cell surface of the stromal cell, or maybe the, the matrix that the stromal cells are living in at any one point in time. So we know, right, that we have all these different ways for these cells to be directed down the pathways. So when you look at the bone marrow itself, you can find sort of neighborhoods inside the bone marrow, right? So here are right cells of the uh, that are that are in the blood vessels or in the capillaries, and you have bone cells, right? That's how skeletal muscle gets formed by osteoblasts and osteocytes, and and uh, adipocytes are fat cells inside there. So you have all this sort of interaction between the resident cells of the bone marrow, and then out here where you have all these differentiating cells themselves, right? So we're going to go from this original stem cell to this stem cell, down the lymphoid pathway to make T cells and B cells and NK cells, or down the myeloid pathway to make red blood cells. Right? So you have all these residents of the bone marrow itself in terms of the of osteoblast and osteoclast that are making the bone and cartilage. And you have all these stromal cells and all these fat cells that are interacting with all these cells and sort of driving them down these different pathways, right? And if you look even, if you look down even, you know, closer, then you can start to see, right, all these interactions between growth factors and right receptors on both sides of the story when you look at receptors on both sides of the story right the stromal cells are out here in or are out here in yellow and then the, all the cell surface components of all those different cells of the of the hematopoietic system are interacting either with the stromal cells themselves or Right? Maybe some of the matrix coming to contact with either collagen or elastin, right? And having all sorts of signals take place so that these cells that are differentiating inside the bone marrow are going to be lymphocytes or red blood cells or whatever those cells are going to be able to be. Right? Well, we don't agree with that. Okay, so when you look at the bone marrow itself, there are about one stem cell. Right? In every 50,000 or so, normals in other hematopoietic cells. So it's about 0.05 percent of all the bone marrow cells are these hematopoietic stem cells. Now these hematopoietic stem cells are going to be they're going to do two, two things. They're either going to divide and make new stem cells, right? That's why they are self-renewing, or, they're going to divide and go down one of those pathways. So, sort of normal sort of things for a, one of these hematopoietic stem cells is to just divide and renew itself. Right? We're going to turn one hematopoietic stem cell into two hematopoietic stem cells. Or, getting one of these signals either from the growth factors or interaction with the stromal cells themselves Right, now it's going to differentiate down an individual pathway. So, we have to have a way to be able to study these cells. Right, because if we're looking at them histologically, they all look the same. So it's real difficult to be able to study them. So people came up with an assay called the in vitro colony assay. And with the in vitro colony assay, we're going to be able to detect and isolate cells that are committed to a certain lineage. And we're going to be able to do that because we're going to grow our cells, or not ourselves, our cells in soft agar. Normal cells cannot grow in soft agar. Tumor cells transform cells and hematopoietic stem cells can grow in agar but they need to have growth factors. So what are we talking about with this agar? We're talking about doing exactly the same kind of experiment we talked about when we did the octolone. Remember we did the octolone. We have a well, and we're gonna have some sort of agar in there, right? We're gonna make our agar, we're gonna boil it up, we're gonna let it cool, the agar's gonna solidify again, and now we're gonna have that agar gel. Before, if we were gonna do a, a radial immunodiffusion assay, we could add our antibodies into this cooling agar right, anywhere like 70 degrees centigrade and, and below that. Can't do that with cells. If you put cells into 70 degrees, we're going to kill them. Right? They're going to be dead right away. So probably by the time the agar cools down a little bit to maybe 37 degrees or so, we're going to add our cells, we're going to mix it all up, and then we're going to have our cells in there. Right? So if we take our jello adage. One step further, right? you ever in high school, you ever have, right, when they took the, 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 the jello o and they put like fruit cocktail in it? That was like my worst dessert in high school. I hated that dessert. right? So you had some pears in there. You had some pineapples in there. Those maraschino cherries were in there. right? So that's basically what we're doing here. We're growing them in soft agar, and we're going to add a bunch of growth factors to them. And if we do that experiment, what we find when we do this is we find that, like these cells, right, as they start to divide here, and right, so it's going to be this three dimensional stuff, so they're going to start to divide. What we find is we find a lot of macrophages. Macrophages appear to be the default switch for these in vitro colony assays. But, If we start purifying factors, if we start looking at different things that are either inside the blood or inside the bone marrow at any one point in time, we're going to start to, right, add different growth factors now. We can find all sorts of different growth factors. We're just going to start adding anything to these in vitro colony assays, and we're going to see what grows on the other side. Uh, Okay. We'll finish talking about this on Wednesday. We'll see what's going to grow.